Hi, everybody. I'm Meredith. And I'm Curtis. We are on approximately day 58 in a row of being woken up by two jumping puppies at 6 a.m. And we don't own any dogs. This is the Launch Pod for Pomona Valley Church. That's right. I think this is true of all kids, or maybe it's just our kids, but they can get in a little bit of a rut sometimes. And right now the rut is that they come bursting out of the doors as soon as their alarm clocks light up and literally pounce on top of whoever might have the misfortune of still being in our bed. I think that's why Meredith always makes sure she's up before them, no matter how late she went to bed the night before. Yep. I'm no dummy. We love our kids, but that does not mean I want to get woken up that way. Thanks for joining us on The Launch Pod. If you've made it this far, you've heard a lot about what we imagine Pomona Valley Church will be. You've heard why we think God is inviting us to start something new, some of our vision, and some of the ways we hope to equip people to joyfully and sustainably live the one another's, neighbor well, and do justice. And we hope that this is continuing to resonate with you like it is with us. There is obviously a ton more we wish we could say, but we're trying really hard to keep things concise and to the point in these podcasts, sometimes more successfully than others, I know, uh, knowing that there's always more nuance and fleshing out any given topic might need, but that this might not be the place for all that. This is actually the last week of the launch pod, or at least of season one, if you will. We may be back with a season two at some point if it's helpful, I guess. Maybe. For now, though, we wanted to close things out with three final episodes. The first two, this one and the next, we will talk through Pomona Valley Church's values, which we've mentioned before, but we want to revisit with a little more depth. And then the final one will be a short episode that turns the corner into the practical, where we are now, where we're going in the next couple of months, how can those of you who want to see Pomona Valley Church exist support us in this mission. Today, let's start with the values, the things we hope will breathe life into this community, concepts that we hope will mark the culture of Pomona Valley Church, and that will be, honestly, the first things people think of when they think of this community. So, Meredith, what's our first value? Our first value, and we put it first on purpose, is sacrifice. We want to be a church that is marked by sacrifice and generosity to one another inside the community and to those outside the church community. We are, of course, following Jesus into the world together, and Jesus gives us a profound image of sacrifice in his life, death, and resurrection. If we're going to be like Jesus, to put a really fine point on it, then we need to be people of sacrifice because that's who Jesus was. And I think this is one of those words that sound hard or unappealing at first glance. But when people reflect on who they truly want to be, most people say, I want to be generous. I want to be about something bigger than myself. I want to give myself for the sake of something that is more than just my own life. But Is there also such a thing as being too sacrificial? There is. I do think that there are people who give and give and give in ways that are beyond what God would ask of us as far as healthy relationships or healthy boundaries. That might be because their own sense of self needs to grow closer to what God wants God's own image to be within them. It might be that they have gotten into unhealthy relationships where burdens get pushed upon them in a disproportionate way. They might be harmed by something from the outside that's unreasonable. And all of those things might create very um, unhealthy, false definitions of sacrifice in someone, for sure. 
And that's where we want to hold on to the joyful and sustainable idea that we've talked about before. There's these, what what seem to be maybe competing themes in scripture of sacrifice, even to the point of death in Jesus's case. And we want that. But there's also a theme of abundance and joy and life coming out of that stance of generosity. That joy and abundance come through sacrifice in some sense. Right. And we want to hold those two themes in tension and listen seriously to God about where we're getting out of balance, leaning too much into the comfort of abundance when God might be prompting us to sacrifice, or being too sacrificial when God might be saying, go experience some joy right now, not in a selfish way, but in a life-giving way. It's not like there is a magic formula or no. a mathematical equation. Right. It's it's going to be different for everyone. And this is a good example of how these different values we're talking about will intersect. Our openness to God will help inform what's appropriate sacrifice. And living into our healthy, authentic selves will as well. They are all wrapped up together. So what do we mean by sacrifice? Give us all your money. Exactly. And you will be rewarded 100-fold. That's in the Bible, right? Uh, something like that. I don't know. It's certainly working for some churches. We should try it. Yeah, we're not that kind of church. <laughs> there is an aspect of being financially generous, of course. Jesus was certainly onto something when he said that where we put our money tells us an awful lot about the condition of our hearts and about what we truly care about. But it's not that we, Pomona Valley Church, should be the only ones people are financially generous to. And money is by no means the only aspect of sacrifice. I can remember when I was in high school, a particular family that embodied this value for me uh, by opening their home to their kids' friends who didn't have, shall we say, the best family life. I can remember going over to the Ferguson's house, and their daughter was about my age, and there would be kids who would come in, they'd say hi to us kids, and then they would spend the whole evening talking with the parents, Steve and Jeanette, in the kitchen. I mean, hours and hours of talking. And I could even see it then as a clueless teenager. They were sacrificing time, relaxing, reading a book, watching TV, whatever, in order to give of themselves, give their time, their love, their affection to kids who were hurting and who desperately needed an adult to care about them enough to take them seriously and talk to them. And that's always kind of stuck with me. One of the formative experiences for me as it relates to sacrifice comes from the church I grew up in. I was part of a wonderful church in Southern California, and there was a community that founded that church together. One of the things that community decided was to have a value on young people and to be asking what church would need to look like in order to grow through future generations. At the time, if you're familiar with a little bit of church landscape, there was something happening nationally called the Worship Wars, which was fundamentally a fight about the style of music a church chose to offer. Organs. Versus guitars. Drums are of the devil. And robes are what's most holy. That sort of thing. All of this stuff. And it might seem silly to you if you don't have a high uh, level of church background on these sort of subcultural things. But it was happening a lot, and it was splitting churches apart. This group of founders from my home church, they were the ones who said, we will sacrifice our preferences for worship styles in order to not get into this worship war space. There is not good that is going to come of this. It is not going to move us forward for being a church that continues through future generations. And so they chose to lay down their preferences for things like choirs or hymns or traditional sounding accompaniment. 
and they didn't fight at all about the introduction of drums or electric guitars or whatever those other things are. They were very open-handed and sacrificial about preference for the sake of being a community that would worship God together, including in its music. And we could go on, but I hope you all uh, see the heart behind this value. We think having a fundamentally generous, sacrificial bearing is almost a make-or-break thing for a church. Culturally, it shapes a church to consistently have the stance I want to sacrifice for one another, for the next generation, for those who need to know Jesus, for our neighbors. And it can take a bunch of different forms, but it it shapes the community. Right. People can feel the difference between that and a stance of, I want to protect what's mine and what I like and what is good for me. I mean, not to put too fine a point on it, but one is like Jesus and the other isn't. Which is why this is such an important value and why we did this one first. Not that the others aren't important, of course. So, what's next? Our next value is, in many ways, the source of our sacrificial stance that we just talked about and what sustains it. It's the value of openness, by which we mean living open to God and what God is doing in our lives, our hearts, our community. And this is where we would talk about having spiritual practices or spiritual disciplines, depending on who you talk to, that are a regular part of your life. Practices that open you up to what God is doing in you. And around you. But let's talk about spiritual practices just a little bit, because some people, when they hear those words, might only think about somber and serious, silent reflection in solitude. Well, or they think about having a quiet time, or as Willow called it, a chair time, where they sit and read the Bible and pray for 15 minutes or so every day, and that's the only practice they have. Yeah, we're not really talking about either of those things. Or we are, but those are just some examples of a much broader array of possible ways to connect with Jesus. It's going to be different for everyone, and for some people, having a quiet time is great. It works. For others, regular silence and solitude are the heart of their life with God. And that's fantastic. We really want to affirm that. Of course. But for others, and probably for most, there are other practices that can broaden and deepen their relationship with Jesus. Things that will connect more with their unique wiring or their unique season of life or whatever it might be. And we want to be a church that is open to and that's equipping people for a wide variety of Christian practices. The important thing is that people do what works for them. I I have this long-standing pet peeve that Meredith can tell you about where Christians write books that basically amount to God made me this way or God is calling me to do this particular thing and therefore every serious Christian ought to do the same thing all the time. It's what sells books. Yes, and it's also nonsense. Uh, God made all of us different and so it only makes sense that We're going to connect with God in different ways, and we're going to be called by God to do different things. And that's one of the things we want to affirm and encourage at Pomona Valley Church. Find what works for you when it comes to opening yourself up to God. Experiment until you find that thing and then do it, even if it's way different than what I would do or what Meredith would do or what some other person might do. Then that's how it should be. And I know that you, Meredith, agree because you've actually given a talk about this very idea of experimenting until you find a way that connects with God. I did. We can actually put that link in the show notes if you're interested. For us, this is where the rhythm of life idea that we talked about before comes in. What are the things that I'm going to do in this season as a part of my regular life and rhythm that allow me to better connect with and follow Jesus? What opens me up uniquely to what God is doing inside of my heart? How would each of us ask those questions? 
And there are so many choices. Uh, some of them are great because they come very naturally to you and will feel easier than you may have experienced before. Some of them are great because they'll stretch you by feeling quite unnatural. And you'll know that it's a good kind of growth, kind of like exercise. For me, and this is something I'm putting on my own rhythm of life in this season, because if I'm not intentional about it, it just doesn't happen. It's getting to bed by nine. Uh, as we said at the opening, our kids are up at six without fail. Yeah, Riley actually is awake by who knows when. It's just he's only allowed out of his bed at six when his alarm clock lights up. True. Point being, there's no sleeping in in our house. There's no catching up on the back end if you're up late. There's either getting in bed early enough to get enough sleep or not. And I am just a better version of myself in all sorts of ways when I've had enough sleep. I know this, and yet it's kind of nice to sit reading in silence for a while at night or watching a basketball game by myself after everyone else has gone to bed. And then you fall asleep on the couch, and then it's 1130. Right. So I am actually considering it a spiritual practice to get my butt in bed. You won't find that in Adele Calhoun's book, I don't think. I don't think so. And, and then wake up early enough that I can be more attuned to the day that God has given me. There's also the nice side effect of not being woken up by being pounced on. Which is a really nice side effect. But openness to God could be small stuff, big stuff, everything in between. It could be individual and in solitude or very communal and relational. It could be somber and serious or celebratory and joyous. It all depends on who you are and what season you're in. But whatever it looks like for you do it. It counts. We want to be a church where we are intentional about opening ourselves up to what God is doing in us. You know, one of the resources that significantly helped me in the last couple of years is a book called The Liturgy of the Ordinary. And one of the things I loved was how the author walked through a typical day and thought about practices that would connect you to God in the middle of something that probably happens for you almost every day. So one of the ones that stuck with me was about waking up in the morning, and I think she linked it with making the bed. But she talked a bit about imprinted animals, which is baby animals that got separated from their mothers, and so instead the first thing they see is an, a human, and that human imprints on them so that they think that's their caregiver. And then they're stuck in an out-of-sync relationship with a human being instead of with an animal parent that they should have. And there's a whole bunch of things scientists have to do to untether an imprinted animal. And then she went on to build the case that perhaps starting the morning by sticking a screen in front of our face could be a way that we're imprinting ourselves in a way that we don't want to be formed. I don't think that's true for everyone. I know Curtis gets up and reads some really awesome pieces that he's got queued up on an iPad. I happened to be in a habit at the time of getting up and checking in on Instagram in a way that got me down a cycle of comparison almost instantly. And it was a really significant thing for breaking me away from that habit and thinking about a different rhythm. So it's a great book. We'll link to it in the show notes. And that's the value of openness. Again, much more we could say here, but what's next? Next, we have the value of relationship. We live in a world that is increasingly lonely and disconnected. There's all sorts of reasons for that. Robert Putnam, who we mentioned in an earlier episode, makes a case in his book Bowling Alone that the trend really started with the widespread adoption of the television because people began sitting at home and watching TV instead of going out to socialize. And then that trend just kept going ever since. 
So we're a good two or three generations deep on loneliness becoming more of a problem. And this really is a problem because disconnection, the absence of consistent, meaningful relationships in a person's life, has been linked to all sorts of problems, mental health issues like depression, anxiety, even cognitive decline in in old age. Physical issues like heart disease, getting sick more often, dying younger. It sounds surprising, but that's only because sometimes we forget that our whole person, mind, body, emotions, immune system, it's all tied together. We are one person with all different parts that interact with each other. And when something goes wrong in one, it does affect the whole. We were made to be social creatures. We were made for relationships. That's one of the things the creation stories in Genesis highlights. It's not good for us to be alone. But increasingly we are. And even the relationships we have can be transactional. Like you give me something, I give you something back. And the relationship is only as valuable as what you can offer me, which really isn't the type of relationship we're talking about at all. And there's good reason for this. I mean, relationships are hard. People can be mean. Guilty. Right. Me too. And when people are mean or not welcoming or cold or just plain difficult or they don't always agree with us or they don't act the way we want – When those things happen, the easiest thing to do is give up, exit the relationship, or not continue building it, depending on the situation. And it makes sense in the short term, but it's profoundly destructive in the long term. And the Bible would tell us that it's destructive because it's not the way God intends for us to live. One of the central and unique beliefs of Christianity is that God is Trinity. Three eternal persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit— Some people say parent, son, and Holy Spirit because while Jesus was literally a man, God is not gendered, but is referred to in both paternal and maternal images throughout the Bible. Yeah, good point. It's really tricky to capture that reality, not just because it's jarring to some people to hear God referred to as anything other than he, but also because it makes language really awkward. You end up saying God over and over instead of using a pronoun where a pronoun would sound more natural. It's one of the things we're going to need to figure out for the future, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. But back to the Trinity for now, which I think is what we were talking about. God is three persons, but one God. And this is hard to wrap our heads around, and we're not going to get into that right now, because the element of this that we want to highlight is that this means God, at the heart of God's self, is a community, a relationship. The very nature of God is relational eternally. Right. And so if we are going to become more like God, which is what we believe we're called to be, then we need to be more relational. It's essential to following Jesus. What's exciting about this to us is this great and growing need in our culture right now for genuine relationship intersects perfectly with who God is. This is one of the primary things that the church can offer to our culture. It can be a place of much-needed relationship. And you say can be because often it doesn't offer relationships. No, often the church does this pretty poorly, honestly. Stand up and shake someone's hand, and then after the service, you can sign up for a six-week small group in a stranger's living room all the way across town. Yeah, that pretty much sums it up sometimes, huh? We want relationships to be one of the central pieces of Pomona Valley Church, just like they are one of the central realities of who God is. It's going to be countercultural. It's going to be awkward. It's going to require sacrifice. And openness to God, probably. And we don't exactly know how we're going to make it happen, because you can't fast-track relationship. It's going to take some experimenting to see what works. But it's too important to just shrug our shoulders and say, oh, well. Here are two things we know we're going to try. One is something that's been named U plus two and was actually a name that someone came up with at Willow, but 
hasn't really been tried there. And so we're going to steal it and see if we can make it work. Originality is overrated. (laughs) In a nutshell, here it is. What if you invited two-ish friends, because we're nothing if not flexible here, to join you in a series of intentional conversations where you share your stories with each other? We could create some tools to facilitate those conversations without it feeling like you've been given this bizarrely rigid discussion guide. And you plus two friends would then meet together and take your relationships one level deeper over time. We imagine that taking existing relationships we have and helping them take the next level towards deep friendship could be incredibly impactful. And it would let you draw from people that are already in your life and already in your circle and give it just enough structure to help it make sense when you want to start moving somewhere intentionally together. That's the kind of thing we imagine equipping people to do at Pomona Valley Church. So that's the first one. And then the second is we also want to make a space for relationship during our regular gatherings. If relationship is a value and we want to be about equipping people to follow Jesus in their actual lives, then part of that gathering should be about that equipping. This is one of those that we are going to need to experiment with because we don't want to just fall back on the typical solutions you see at churches all the time. Stand up and shake someone's hand. There's coffee and donuts after the service. And there's nothing wrong with those, necessarily, but they aren't terribly effective at building real relationships either. We do think, on the other hand, that as an example, if there is time in our gathering where a person shares their story, that helps connect us to each other. It can help build relationships. It can model how real relationships grow as people share stories with one another. We want to experiment with using the time either with or around the gathering, too, to help people have the chance to foster real relationships. For us, this is one of the reasons we imagine having a weekly worship gathering still. Generally speaking, church attendance is on the decline in terms of how many people are there on any given week. They're coming less and less frequently. And so somebody might still be part of a church that they only visit once a month or once every six weeks. And it makes sense how that happens, given the other realities of our lives and how busy people are. But that doesn't let somebody build relationship. You can't do that once every six weeks. And many church experiences on a Sunday are not particularly designed or intended to cultivate relationship. That just isn't usually the goal. They often put that into a different time frame. But if we intentionally use our weekly worship as a time that cultivates relationship, then consistency will help build it. Because we've said before, there's no fast track way to build trust or get to know each other. But if we include that in our time, and if we try to cultivate relationship bit by bit, consistency will help. Okay, and now let's jump forward to our fourth value, authenticity. So that's a buzzword, mayor, a cliche, if you will. What does it mean? When we say authenticity is a value, we mean that it's important for us that Pomona Valley Church be a place where people can become more and more who God created them to be, whoever that might be. And so authenticity does mean we bring our imperfect, broken, unpolished selves to God, and that we want Pomona Valley Church to be a place where all sorts of people feel welcome and comfortable. But it's not, oh, we all just wallow in our brokenness together Uh, I think some churches overdo the emphasis on how broken we all are. Like, yes, we're all imperfect. We get it. Um, But we want to hold on to that reality and the reality that God is wanting to transform us, to fix what's broken, to make us 
more who we were made to be. It's becoming more authentic, really, because you are authentically living into the person God created you as. There's authentically being broken, but God does not intend for us to stay broken. That's the good news. So being healed, experiencing a sense of things being fixed along the way, the process there is the one that makes us most authentic. I think for a lot of people, bringing their authentic self would look like opening up or re-examining places that have been painful. Right, yeah. Not with, like, the whole wide world, but with a couple safe, trusted folks. I know I can remember a time when I was feeling pretty lonely, but I was also feeling scared of doing the work to make new friends. And I remember having a couple people I could share that with. And that bit of authentic sharing was received well which led me to dive a little more deeply into realizing that I had had some friendships end with a person just kind of fading away. It really hurt my feelings. And so now suddenly I'm aware that my hurt feelings are keeping me from the kind of friendships that would really enrich my life and help me follow Jesus more and feel less alone in that part of my journey. That created this chance to bring my pain to Jesus and to experience the comfort of Jesus as my friend before moving back into the scary world of human friendships, face-to-face ones. (laughs) And then even a year later, I actually remember hearing two women on a podcast talk about friendship and how someone had had their friendship end, and they were really authentic about the pain of that. And I just found that being in places where we could own the challenges of friendship and also realize that God heals relationships, sometimes by repairing them or sometimes by just giving us courage to form new ones. But all that came out of a place of authenticity starting it all off. That is my real imperfect pain kind of getting opened up to God. And I think it's about time for us to wrap up this episode. We've gone a little bit long here, I think, but we hope that those values and the way we talked about them resonated with you. And if they did, or if you know someone else who they will resonate with, please pass this podcast on, especially if they're in Southern California and might want to be a part of making Pomona Valley Church a reality. We will be back with one more episode all about our last value, diversity. We felt like it was important enough to deal with all on its own to give it a little more nuance that it deserves. So that's what we'll do next time. We also have exciting news, at least for us. Oh, yeah. Our official partner page is up on Communitas's website. That's the organization that we've talked about before that we're partnering with in this uh, project. And you can go to gocommunitas.org. We'll send out a link as well, but it's gocommunitas.org. And you can see a drop-down menu at the top that's first labeled our team. Then you go to our people and then North America because that's where we are. And then we show up. We will talk more about this in our final episode and in a bit more detail, but that will be our primary fundraising site as we look to raise the money it will take, the seed money, if you will, to get this community off the ground. And in fact, now is a good time to say this. If you've made it this far in the podcast, then hopefully something about this community is touching a nerve for you. Maybe you have the same conviction we do, which is this kind of community has to exist. We need churches like this. We're ready to do whatever we can to make it happen, but we will need help. We'll need your help and others like you too. So if you would be listening to the Holy Spirit, and if God does prompt you to partner with us in starting Pomona Valley Church, we'll have some steps you can take to be part of that soon with some final details in the last episode. We'll be back in the next day or so, but until then, we love you all. 
Bye. Bye.